Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Russell Thomas. He is CEO at Lifetonic. We're going to talk about the journey they've been on in the cannabis space. Really great story. Great kind of technology that they've developed over the years and new technology they've they've developed over that period that has lots of interesting applications. We're going to hear about that. And we're going to hear really about the journey of what it means to be in the cannabis space uh, and how you make it in the cannabis world, because Russell and his team have, have definitely done that. A lot of interesting things going on for them right now. And I'm excited for this conversation. I'm excited to hear the story. I'm excited to um, be able to talk about some of the technology and, and the work that they've done. So with that, Russell, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Excited to speak. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. So, so before we get into all the things you're doing today, which is exciting and, and quite extensive, take us back to even before, like how you got into cannabis, what was the early kind of work that you did and tell us the story. Yeah, I originally came from the clean tech industry. So I actually developed uh, fuel saving technologies for the mm-hmm. automotive industry. And, um, you know, about the time I was kind of moving on from uh, that startup, my uh, mother-in-law had a major she really had had a problem with her back and yeah. uh, had had a, a big surgery coming, and you know the typical path for that is you 
you get loaded up on narcotics uh, that has a lot of other issues. So we got her a uh, medical marijuana card, uh, yep. which way back then was a very interesting experience. It's just kind of a, you, you kind of just go into this doctor's office and if you pay enough, you walk out with one. Uh, I'm glad things have improved since then. But um, we quickly found out kind of looking at that industry that uh, everything in it had to be extracted. You know, to, if you're going to yeah. dose a product you need to do it with an extract. And the ways that uh, extraction was occurring then were very chemically intensive and uh, just uh, didn't necessarily look like something you should be consuming for medicinal purposes. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of it, you had uh, you know, CO2 extraction, which is a great process, but it was very slow, very expensive, didn't do great with terpene recovery. And uh, I thought, gosh, there's got to be a better way to do this. And Everything in the whole industry seems to funnel through extraction. And so, uh, you know, we, we kind of came into that industry seeing a problem and yeah. uh, figured out a way to extract just using uh, evaporating cannabinoids and terpenes directly from the plant material and then recondensing those evaporated components back into a concentrate. Yeah, kind of a distillation kind of process on that. What, yes. I guess, why do you feel like that? That was kind of a new way of doing it, or what, why have people not looked at that at the time? Why were people looking at the kind of the solvents and things? Like, what was what was going on in terms of the technology? You know, at the time, I think people were just. This was a few years back, you know, kind of twenty fourteen ish. You know, that we kind of started really looking at that, and uh, it's you know mostly it was butane and hexane extraction, and people yeah. were not necessarily using even high quality clean uh, forms <laughs> of butane back then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, had to be a cleaner way, you know. And so, on the other hand, people were vaporizing cannabis for personal mm-hmm. use and, and personal vaporizers, you know, those little PAX vaporizers and uh, volcanoes I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, yeah. And that was kind of considered one of the cleanest ways to consume cannabis. And I said, well, wait, you know, what if we could just recapture that vapor and turn that to an extract? That mm-hmm. ought to be one of the cleanest possible ways to extract. And that's really what we harnessed, you know, is, yeah. is how do you... Uh, Literally, our extract is is uh, recondensed vapor. Yeah, and and what are the technical challenges around this? I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's it sounds like one of those things that's easy to think about, maybe harder to execute on. Like when you go to actually do this, where do you run into challenges and, and problems? I mean, that was exactly what happened. <laughs> we, yeah. we, you know, we built a prototype actually in our kitchen. This was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, first time, uh, you know, it, it was a project. It took a few months, and first time we ran uh, just. Just at that legal limit, two ounces of cannabis through it. Uh-huh. And uh, the extract came out and it was just about 80% THC, first run ever. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, you're thinking, wow, it, it actually worked. <laughs> and uh, Eureka. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, wow, this, this might be easy. Uh, wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> taking that from that first proof of concept to a commercial machine, you know, was, it was a huge project. But uh, we had proof of concept. So my wife and I literally dug in. Got, spent the last of our savings. Uh, yeah. We built a 1,200-pound machine on the floor in our living room in a small apartment in Boulder. <laughs> Had to reinforce the floor because it was starting to say, sag. That's a lot oh of yeah, <laughs> it was a lot of weight. This floor was bending, so we built a platform under it and uh, didn't run cannabis through that machine initially because it yeah. would have been straight to jail because it was yeah. a bit much bigger version. Plugged it in uh, where the stove plugged in and ran oh, rosemary yeah. through it. Yeah. And then once we uh, got rosemary to work, we took it out, rolled it into a dispensary, or sorry, a MIP in, in Denver, mm-hmm. and uh, 
it worked. Uh, it was not uh, easy to build, but it worked. <laughs> and yeah. so we raised uh, several million dollars off of that concept and built a, a small fleet uh, that we used to extract hemp. And uh, that was kind of the initial application. It was a lot easier than taking it straight into a marijuana facility yeah. production. And uh, we just kind of kept building from there and uh, sold extract to some of the top 10 CBD brands, uh, probably extracted and sold more USD organic certified uh, hemp extract than anybody else in the industry. Yeah. What volume wise? Like, what? Give me a sense of volume. So, like, what were you doing? Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking kind of in the hundred thousand pound range, you know, kind of through there. Not, not big volume at all, you know, for labs, uh, for yeah. hemp labs. But we actually sold everything we produced, and that is very <laughs> uncommon for hemp labs. You know, so, yeah. so we we uh, we sized appropriately for our market, and you know, we really just we wanted to prove the concept worked because. We're really a technology development licensing company. Yeah. You know, we we conceive these these new you know technologies that solve problems. We uh, we quickly try to vet if they'll work or not. If we determine they do, we we get a lot of IP around them, a lot of patents around them, mm-hmm. and then we uh, commercially prove them in the market by selling products that come out of, from the process. And then we enter a licensing mode, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, it was more than enough to take it way out of prototype status and into production mode. Yeah. You mentioned you raised some money around this. Uh, tell me a little bit about that process. I'm always curious how you know how how cannabis companies or, or cannabis related companies are finding you know that that fundraising process, where they're getting the money, who's investing in them, why they're investing. You know how how was that for you in the early stage? Early stage, um, you know, we actually raised most of our money out of New Orleans, which is where I'm originally from, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, having that uh, machine that we had built in the living room, which is a really nice machine, you know, uh, that 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 certainly helped because it wasn't an imaginary thing anymore. You know, we'd, we'd proven it. But, uh, yeah, we raised a total of around $5 million. Um, and uh, it was mostly from just high net worth individuals, angels. We did have some uh, members from a, a really big VC firm in town here, but uh, they did it as a personal investment, not as a part of their, their firm. Because... Yeah, investing in cannabis. Uh, this was kind of back in 2015-ish. It was a weird time. Uh, there was no banking. You know, was favorable. Yeah. You couldn't get loans. You had very strict rules with uh, investors and out-of-state uh, ownership. And so that—that's also why we kind of went into hemp initially to kind of distance ourselves just a little bit from marijuana initially. Yeah. Uh, made our lives a lot easier. Yeah. And technically what you were doing from the extraction process, you know, didn't really matter if you're marijuana or hemp. I mean, the, the, from a plant biology, you know, cannabinoids and terpenes and stuff, it's the same basic process. Yeah. Al- almost identical. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty much the same plant. Just one yeah. is, uh, one is producing, uh, THC and one's producing CBD. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the, uh, hemp that's grown today was marijuana that uh, was engineered to not produce THC. So yeah. you wouldn't even know the difference in some cases when you look at this. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you, you know, going to real kind of commercialization, what were some of the challenges you mentioned, you built this, this fleet of, of uh, devices, but what, like, what were the complexities of actually scaling up uh, the business other than just the kind of pure technical aspect of, of scaling the device itself? Really what we had the most trouble with is when you try to find a building <laughs> yeah. And the moment you mention, oh, it's for hemp extraction, you go down so many notches with any landlord yeah. and and your price goes up so much more significantly than the really? value of the building that uh, finding a home for a production facility 
was an incredible challenge. And then once we found a building, uh, it, it took us close to seven months to get all of our, our, uh, our, our permitting in place yeah. to begin operating it. And that was just for hemp extraction. So uh, you can imagine yeah. how much harder marijuana would have been. Yeah. But th- that, was our, that was probably our biggest challenge was around real estate. Um, yeah. But uh, we, we finally we found a great building in Boulder. Uh, Boulder has a lot of regulation, but mm. that's sometimes a good thing because you actually know where you stand. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the cities around Colorado, when there's no regulation, you can set up a facility and uh, just all of a sudden they decide that they don't like that anymore and they kick you out. You don't get treated like a regular business in this industry. And it's um, just, and I guess why is that? Is it just people's kind of concern about hemp and cannabis? Is it there's legitimate like safety issues or why, why the drama? I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that it's cannabis more than anything else. But there are, not with our process, but with some labs, there are very big safety issues. If you have, you know, an extraction facility that's extracting with hexane, that's a very flammable gas. And if it's not vented properly, you can blow up a whole building. And that yeah. has happened quite a bit. And uh, the same thing with ethanol, too. It's, it's very flammable. It's a, little bit, it's a little bit easier to work with than, than hydrocarbon solvents. But there's been some pretty nasty explosions and building fires and, you know, employees getting severely burned and so there there are definitely concerns about that our process is, is very unique we're, we're not using solvents to extract you know yeah. so so we are definitely on the the safest side of the spectrum but you still get lumped in with uh, the bad experiences that uh, cities have had with other less scrupulous uh, extraction facilities yeah. so even even though you're not dealing with solvents and you're not dealing with you know crazy high pressures and things like that like they still just kind of lump you into the, oh, you're hemp extraction, so you're going to be in this category, so we're going to raise your rates and make it difficult for you. <laughs> oh, exactly. And and yeah. with with this process, it's very new. Yeah. We got it certified by a professional engineer to show that everything has been done right. Uh, we built these to the highest standards for safety that you can, you know, yeah. C1, D1, even though they don't even need to be, because when you're dealing with, you know, a fire department, uh, it's a new process, they're not engineers. They don't necessarily yeah. know how it works, and so their their natural inclination is to to treat everything with suspicion, and mm-hmm. and they're trying to keep people safe. Uh, we yeah. we actually have a, a wonderful fire department here in Boulder. We're very lucky because they're better than most. Uh, but uh, we just did everything they wanted. Uh, installed a full sprinkler system across this whole 18,000 square foot building, even though, again, we're not using solvents. Uh, <laughs> we just did it because we wanted to be able to operate. Yeah. And so so as you've developed this technology, you've, you've been successful in the hemp space. I'm curious how the hemp market kind of shaped the business, because I know, you know, hemp was going up and down in terms of, oh, yes. uh, you know, raw material, final good. I mean, it sounds like you you did something right because you were selling most of your product. And I know that's that was can be a kind of Herculean feat for a lot of uh, CBD extract companies for a while. Tell us a little bit about how the market played out and how that affected the business and how it grew. It was incredible at first because we went from literally just, you know, zero to 60 almost immediately. And all of a sudden we're making millions of dollars a year and we're thinking, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> we we made it. We did it. Yep. And then literally in a period of just a few months, you know, a kilogram of CBD extract went from around an average of $7,000 a kilo, three months later down to about $2,500 to $3,000 a kilo. Go forward another few months, and it was just a few hundred a kilo. Crazy. Fast forward a little more, and it actually is all of a sudden 
it costs more to grow it, let alone extract it, <laughs> refine it, and package it. Yeah. And so if you want to extract at that point, you're writing a check, you know, versus taking a check. And so that was no fun. We saw it coming. We were able to, to kind of pivot away from it. Uh, we went heavy into USD organic certified products. That, that kept us going because that was very unique at the time. The conventional market just completely bottomed out and yeah. uh, extractors started dropping like flies. We were luckily in the organic space. We luckily had some, some long-term contracts built in that got us almost all the way through COVID. And, uh, and we have a lot of other applications that we do other than just hemp. So we made it through it, but it was no fun when those checks got cut off abruptly like they did because uh, life went from easy to very hard. And uh, we had to completely recreate our business and uh, we managed to do so. But 2020 was not a not a fun year for a <laughs> yeah. number of reasons. <laughs> then you have COVID on top of it. So yeah. we're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Let's talk a little bit about where you've kind of grown the technology. Because I know that you know you started in the cannabis world, hemp world, but uh, there's there's other applications for what you've been uh, technology you've developed. Give us a little insight of how that played out, how you kind of discovered that and how that's kind of expanded the business beyond cannabis. Yeah, that was something we didn't quite see coming, but uh, as the CBD market was crashing, we said, well, geez, you know, what are the other things we can do here? We better do it quickly. And uh, one of our, one of our, the guys we consult with had said, have you ever thought about using this for fragrance? And, you know, about that time uh, we had a visit from a, CEO of a massive fragrance company out of Europe, and uh, we managed to initiate a project with with them. Ran about a dozen different fragrance compounds, and the results were quite amazing. What started yeah. to come out? Well, so and, and, and why? Like, what what is what is the similarity? What what about fragrance can apply with this technology? What is their process? So, I, I guess where where we realized we we would have an advantage with fragrances uh, from the day one when we started extracting hemp. We noticed that, you know, in terms of overall yield, we're more or less on par with CO2 and ethanol. We can run with the best of them. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say we were better, but what we were better at is we were seeing quite literally two to four times more terpenes by mass in our extract. So the volatile, harder to extract components, we were kind of blowing away everything else, even more than hydrocarbons extraction. Mm -hmm. And so... We knew that there was something very different about this, but at the time we were making a ton of money extracting CBD. We thought it was kind of crazy to look at anything else, and, and uh, yeah. uh, the money tends to to motivate you to to keep going that direction. Oh yeah. But when we started, uh, we started working with these fragrances. We turned our, our temps to different settings, uh, and when you compare our fragrance extracts to the reference samples, and these are. We're actually doing this with three multi-billion dollar fragrance companies right now. So we're doing paid research for three right now. We're moving uh, conversations forward with seven of the 10 largest fragrance companies in the world. We've also done some very uh, interesting projects with hops. And across the board, mm-hmm. we're getting a lot more fragile, volatile components out. And yeah. it literally smells like perfume. Uh, we did a hops extract that uh, you can just literally just take a tiny drop of it and the entire room starts to smell like like a floral, wow. fragrant beer. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, it smells like you literally walked into a brewery. It's, it's incredible. We've done that with some wood extracts. Uh, sandalwood is one that is truly amazing through a machine. Mm. And if you compare it to the reference sample, which is steam distilled, 
it smells good. It smells like what sandalwood's supposed to smell like. But when you smell ours, it's vibrant, it's potent, it's room filling. It's just a lot more layers of scent. Yeah. And the reason for that is, you know, if you think about how you smell things, so you walk into a coffee shop in the morning, you smell that fresh brewed coffee. That's evaporated volatile compounds from the coffee that go into the air and into your nose. That's how mm -hmm. we smell. Uh, yeah. You walk into a bakery, you smell chocolate chip cookies. You know, that's the truest smell of cookies is what evaporates off of them into the air. You stick your nose in a flower and you smell that, you breathe in, again, evaporated volatile compounds. And yet, there's not a single extraction process out there that is really leveraging that. Everything is solvent-based. You're trying to wash things out of a plant. You're trying to kind of rip things out with under pressure with CO2. You're subjecting them to, you know, steam distillation. That sounds like it's a great, clean way to get volatiles out, but... What you may not consider is you're actually steam distilling plants in boiling water for hours. You know, in sandalwood, yeah. you can be upwards of 40 hours of steam distillation to make wow. an extract. For uh, things like lavender, you know, if you go out in a field, you, you break that off, you smell it, it smells amazing. If you think about what would happen to that lavender if you put that in a pot and you steam distilled it for hours, you're going to introduce soup-like smells, things that are not natural to the plant. Yeah. And so all these other processes are not the way that your nose works. What we figured out how to do is kind of harness that natural process of scent evaporation that already is going to occur, mm -hmm. just compress that time lane down to something that's commercially viable, literally takes two seconds to extract with our process. You have plant material going through, uh, it's, it's evaporating the compounds out, it's recondensing the extract. If you measure that time, it's less than two seconds. Mm -hmm. So you get a truer representation of the actual odor of the plant than you do with steam distillation, CO2, hydrocarbon methods. And it makes sense. I mean, it's this is more how scents naturally evaporate into the air. Yeah. And and so what you can then do for industries like perfume is create create a, a richer, more cost effective process for extracting those volatile compounds that then they can use in the perfume process. I mean you're basically creating raw material for them. Correct. Uh, so you're able to produce a process, you're extracting more efficiently, so yeah. you're getting more out, which means that you have less input material, mm -hmm. which saves money. You can produce the product for less, yeah. but you're also getting a higher quality perfume product. The combination of those two things together really puts you in a great position to, to win in a commodities market. Yeah. And so that, that's why, you know, almost overnight, uh, we're talking to all these perfume companies. And, uh, you know, what's really exciting is the first one we've done work with, and uh, unfortunately, I can't say the name on the air. Yeah, we're going to no, keep fine. that under NDA, but yeah. multi-billion dollar company. They gave us a very compelling joint venture offer mm -hmm. to literally, you know, partner with them to use this technology to extract perfume. And uh, I could not have possibly seen that coming a few years ago. <laughs> we were saying, let's yeah. extract marijuana, <laughs> you know, but, 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 you know, sometimes, uh, you know, your journey, it, it twists a few times. And, and, and honestly, we think this is a much more valuable industry than cannabis will ever be for extraction, yeah. Yeah. Uh, ironically. Um, you know, some of these components like uh, orris, for example, it's, it's an iris root. It's the base of almost every, uh, you know, ladies' perfume. Yeah. It's very, very, very expensive. The extract is quite literally around $12,000 per kilo. Wow. So if you could just get even a little bit more out. Yeah, another 2%. That's big money immediately. Yeah. And 
if you also have something that smells better than the reference sample, because that steam distillation process is normally used, you get those soup-like smells. Mm-hmm. And ours, it quite literally smells exactly like the root itself. Oh, that's great. Uh, then, then you've got something really special. And yeah. uh, we're just going into a competitive licensing stage. We're actually kind of slow walking that first offer, as tempting as it is to just say, let's mm-hmm. take it. We want to let the other companies we're working with have time to complete their studies so that they can uh, get into the bidding process because yeah. we'll, we'll do better if everybody has a chance to uh, make an right. offer. Yeah. And, what, and what's your model? You're going to license this technology? Or are you going to co-produce with them? I mean, how, from your business point of view, what have you decided is the best way to monetize the, what you've been able to do? Our preferred way is a simple license agreement where you get an upfront payment and then you get a generous ongoing royalty. And since you're betting on the back end with this company that you're licensing to, we also have performance requirements. So uh, they do have an obligation to meet certain sales criteria each year. And if they're not doing anything with it, we get the license back. Yeah. So it's pretty simple. And I like simple agreements so much better than complicated agreements. They, they just, uh, <laughs> things just usually go better. And, yeah. you know, our, our intent is we certainly don't want to try to become the world's largest perfume company. That's just not our industry. Uh, we don't have enough lifetimes in us to, to, to run every direction. Yeah. So our model is to find the best partner in each industry. We are going to do exclusive license in perfume. So you'll have a group of perfume components that only one company in the world has rights to. Yeah. And uh, they'll pay a lot for that, yep. especially because they they're afraid if their competitors get it, that they'll be at a severe disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And uh in these perfume applications, it's, it's uh, again, I never saw this coming, <laughs> but uh, we should have been extracting perfume before we ever From touched cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we kind of went the different direction, hey. but I'll take it, you know. So, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, wood extracts also, you know, another thing to think about is uh, we have truly excelled with uh, replicating the smell and odor of, of wood and where that's significant is in winemaking, you yeah. know, you're, you're aging or just spirits in general, you're aging them in French oak casks. Those casks cost anywhere from 650 to $900 a piece. They're very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. And you can only use them once or twice to age your spirits. And after that, you've kind of depleted them. But if you think about it, you know, how much of that cask is actually in contact with the spirits? Yeah. It's literally just about a millimeter deep into the wood. Yeah. The rest of that wood, almost 95% of it is 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 not even getting used. Yeah. And so if you if we take a cask, we grind it up to sawdust, we run it through our machine, you're going to get the entirety of the benefit of that cask and, you know, quite literally, you know, one cask turns into more than 20. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so you cut down one oak tree and instead of 20 oak trees. Yeah. It's a great story from, you know, not uh, being more conservative of, uh, of the oak trees. Mm-hmm. But you're also going to save a ton of money. And you're going to have a very, very consistent spirits product. So that's actually something we're very excited about because when we have extracted woods, it is quite literally a carbon copy of the wood. Yeah. Uh, it's a, if you taste the extract, it's exactly the same as is literally biting a little chip of wood. Yeah. And uh, so we're excited about that kind of in the wine and spirits uh, world. We're excited about hops with beer. Our lead investor in our round, he actually owns uh, uh, three breweries and he's closing on a major brewery. It's one of the largest in the country. And uh, we w- we're going to be moving forward with both hops extracts with his breweries and with uh, oak and wood extracts. 
and uh, producing some products. And we want to do that before we go into licensing because it's this great opportunity to get actual sales. And again, that's always part of our market. You, you, anytime you can get something into the market as a product, prove people want it, you're going to do so much better when you go into licensing because you can show sales data. Yeah. Um, I love it. And then, so what are you doing in cannabis at this point? <laughs> Given all these other things, wait, you still doing stuff in cannabis or? <laughs> so cannabis, yeah. So cannabis is very exciting. Okay. So, so, so yeah, th- we did not expect this pivot. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's it, the CBD industry will do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> Most of our competitors are gone. We're probably one of the last ones still operating yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, so, so we, we pivoted also heavily into marijuana and we're very excited about that. So, you know, we're an IP company. Yeah. We have an in-house patent attorney. He's a brilliant attorney. He's also a PhD chemist. Uh, we very early recognize, you know, that you have a new industry coming online. It's been illegal for 70 years. There's no real sophistication around IP yet. And so we wanted to do a patent land grab. So every pinch point in the industry, everywhere that there was a, uh, a high value core, we said, you know, is there IP we can grab around this? And extraction was the first one we focused on. But the other one is beverage. You know, if you look at the the most prominent investments that have been done in, in cannabis anywhere, they've been alcohol companies investing in cannabis companies yeah. with the mandate to find an alternative to alcohol and cannabis. You know, the the one everybody knows about is the the nearly four billion dollars that Constellation Brands put into Canopy. But you know, Tilray is partnered with. Uh, uh, AB InBev, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Hexo and Molson Coors are partnered. I mean, all the liquor companies want in. Mm-hmm. And yet, cannabis beverages are still just a sliver of the market. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you look at the why on that, it's it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly. They just take way too long to work. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an industry of wild claims. But if you really go out there and you test cannabis beverages, almost all of them take about a half an hour or longer to work. Mm-hmm. And, that doesn't really create a social drinking experience. You know, picture going to a bar. You know, yeah, exactly. Picture going to a bar and, you know, you, you, you meet your friends there, you get a shot of tequila, and every shot of tequila you drink, you know, it could take a half an hour or longer to kick in. That would be uh, truly awful. Yeah, disastrous. <laughs> and that right there is exactly why cannabis beverages haven't taken off. Yeah. However... They've attracted the most attention, and if they do take off, if you do do that right, they're probably going to immediately become the most valuable part of the cannabis industry. And so we thought, you know, we looked at it, everybody's using nanoemulsion technologies yep. to, to make cannabis beverages, and they help, but they still don't get you over that hump, making it as fast as alcohol. We looked at it completely differently, and we said, you know what, if you really look at a cannabis molecule, if you can put a strong charge on it, mm-hmm. if you can ionize it, you can change it from acting like an oil that doesn't want to be in water yep. to acting more like a salt that, that wants to dissolve in water. Yeah. And when you put a charge on a cannabinoid molecule, it, it, it actually dissolves. So there's no emulsifiers. There's no nanoemulsion technology. And when you dissolve a cannabinoid in water, you make it work incredibly fast. Quite literally, you know, we, we've, we've, uh, we've made CBD versions of this that are in the market. Uh, we've initiated sales with that. We've also, we have uh, made cannabis versions as well. We've, we've done tons of surveys. Almost everyone who tries it says that they feel a strong onset in about seven to eight minutes yeah. for, for the THC beverage and less than five for the CBD. Wow. And th- the reason for that, if you think about it, is if you look at a nano emulsion, it's got about, you know, 500 to a few thousand THC molecules 
per nanoemulsion droplet. Our technology, when you have something dissolved, it's just a single molecule. Now, one molecule, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy math here. Yeah. It, literally, it's about 500 to a few thousand times smaller than a nanoemulsion droplet. So when that goes in your stomach, it, it almost immediately gets absorbed and starts to work its way into your blood and starts to produce an effect. Versus a nanoemulsion droplet, you have hundreds or thousands of molecules that have to kind of slowly soak in. There's a little more digestion required, and that takes time. And so uh, I guess, uh, you know, so this technology we're incredibly excited about. We're going first into the Nevada market and mostly in that Las Vegas area. Uh, we have an incredible partner out there that we're, we're moving forward with. They're one of the largest uh, dispensary chains in the state, one of the largest manufacturers in the state. And they're opening a cannabis cocktail lounge that's literally just a block off the strip. Wow. You can walk right off the strip and go there. And uh, we have a very collaborative partnership where we, um, we produce all of the upstream ingredients for these products here in, in Colorado. Mm-hmm. We ship them to Nevada. They add the THC in and they package it in a Lifetime branded package. And uh, it's quite literally like we make the proprietary Coca-Cola formula without caffeine. I love it. Ship that out there. They add the caffeine in, and then they bottle it in a Coca-Cola bottle. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a really cool kind of non-plant touching model, and uh, you can expect to see our products out there uh, when they open that lounge uh, around New Year's. And um, if you like the products in the lounge, you can buy a uh, a little single serving sachet that you. you tear open and you pour this into any drink and it becomes a THC drink. Yeah. We also make a fast acting breath spray that yep. uh, tastes like banaca. You spray it in your mouth and uh, literally in just a few minutes, you start to get a THC high Yeah, and um, it's almost as fast as vaping it. It's a little longer, mm-hmm. but you know, we see that this also is a, a potential alternative for vaping without having oh, yeah. to inhale Dude. it. Yeah. And, so yeah, so so that was kind of one of the also one of the things that came out of uh, trying to pivot out of a, a crashing CBD market. So we, we ended up we're probably better off for having the crash yeah. than uh, for it not happening. But it was a painful process. But now, but now <laughs> you know now, result, now everything's but... coming together better than it would have if if we didn't have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, great story. Russell, this has been a pleasure. Um, if people want to find out more about you, about Lifetonic, about the work that you're doing, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, so uh, we have a, a website, lifetonic.com. Uh, you can purchase CBD versions of this rapid onset beverage technology. That's probably the best place to learn about us right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, later this year, we'll be in the Nevada market. And probably a few months after that, we'll be in the Colorado market here as well. Excellent. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes so people can get that. Thank you. Russell, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.